Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Sophia invites me to her hot tub for a skinny dip this session, and we podcast about kink, BDSM, consent, consensual non-consent, though Sophia doesn't like that term, switching, bisexuality, pansexuality, hierarchical non-monogamy, and many others. It's sure to be an intimate session. We talk about the origins of safe, sane, and consensual, or the SSC paradigm of ethics and consent in BDSM. The origins are credited to slave David Stein, whose name eludes me during the recording, but feel free to Google it if you want to know more about the history or backstory behind that. The director of Pan Eros Foundation in Seattle, Sophia is one of those badasses that in my opinion has dedicated her life and efforts to making meaningful change in alternative culture. Pan Eros supports the Seattle Erotic Arts Festival, Consent Academy, and an erotic art gallery in downtown Seattle. The hot tub was low on water, so we had to add a lot of water, and it ended up being quite cold, so when we first get in, we're actually quite surprised at how warm it is, but this is pretty standard for the Pacific Northwest, and of course, it had been raining. The first thing I do is lose my footing in the hot tub and almost completely submerge myself and the recorder. Fortunately, the recorder is fine. Also note, I erroneously say 3 volts of power when I recognize voltage isn't power. I had to look this up just to give you accurate information. The maximum capacity of those batteries is 1.2 amp hours, meaning the power varies by amperage draw. And after reading some sites online, one said a short-circuited AAA value typically maxes out around 4.5 amps, which means about 15 watts of power if we're talking about both of the batteries at the same time. So, my point stands, but my needs for security, accuracy, and correctness decided to spend your valuable time explaining this. Thank you for your patience. Oh yeah, and enjoy the episode. Oh, that is so much warmer than I expected it to be. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, good job, good job. So, number one thing, do not drop recorder in water. I'm like, we'll see how well I manage, but uh, so far this seems to be going okay. Seems to be going all right. <laughs> cool. I have not destroyed my recorder yet, which is exciting. This is very exciting. How do you feel about sitting in front of the uh, blue light? I can sit in front of the blue light. Awesome. That'll work. Okay. Is it okay that I'm covering up the blue light? Oh, yeah. Totally okay. fine. Um, 
So I should welcome everyone to an incredibly intimate session of Intimate Interactions, <laughs> where Sophia Sky and I are hanging out naked in her hot tub. Yay! Which is currently like a warm hot tub, because we had to add some water to it, but it's actually quite warm. It's, it's a good. warm tub. Yeah, it's good It's good temperature. Like if I were going to do Watsu, this would be a really good temperature. What's Watsu? Watsu is a type of water massage that Ooh. you do. Yeah. I could get behind that. It's really yummy stuff. Oh, I'm like stretching and like, cause you know, what do you do when you need to get ready to do a podcast? You stretch. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, Is it okay that that went in the water a little bit? Probably. Okay. I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'm going to go with it and just be like, it'll be fine. I mean, there's only two AAA batteries. So the worst I could get is shocked with like three volts of power. Okay. So I'm not too concerned about it. Okay. I'm more concerned about the recorder. <laughs> So Which is experiencing some precarious, um, a precarious situation. So the big question then is how much do I have? Yeah, I have, I have plenty of slack where I can like whip this around and flail and I should be okay. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, you know how we do. <laughs> Cause we flail. We flail. Well, hands do get flapped around a and little just bit. Move a little closer. Oh no, I don't. There you go. No, I'm going to stay here. Or what about like this? Oh, no, that doesn't go anywhere else. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. We're going to leave it be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. You can stick your legs out this way. Oh, yeah. That would work. I just need go. to be, like, facing. I like how we're both talking to this invisible third, <laughs> third right. guest. That's true. All right. It no, this will be fine. This will be fine. You should name your recorder. Oh, my goodness. I do name Because it does look like a, like a little tribble. It does look like a tribble. It's a good name for a tribble. Hmm. I feel like smoosh or squoosh or something like that. Oh, see, I was thinking Floof. Simon or Nigel. Simon or Nigel. Like something very British. Or Horace. Horace. Like Reginald, like something overly formal because it's so floofy. Right. To kind of make up for the floofiness. Got you. So, like. We'll have to think about it more. I will have to think about floof, it more. I mean. Floof is a nice descriptive name as well. I am very into semantics. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which. <laughs> what we a wonderful a, segue. We were having a conversation about kink and BDSM earlier, and I thought, we should save this for the podcast. So did you want to um, have a conversation about philosophies of ethics and kink? I know that sounds dry, but like, hang on. <laughs> we're going to be talking about SSE and RAC and probably rape play and CNC and terms like bisexual and pansexual and switching and alpha sub and hierarchical monogamy and non-monogamous submission, all kinds of interesting, juicy topics. And we're probably going to rant and soapbox a bit. Yay, ranting. Yay, ranting. Um, Speaking of ranting, SSE. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So safe, sane and consensual Mm -hmm. versus risk aware, -aware consensual consensual kink. kink. So I had a lawyer explain to me the difference between the two okay and so the reason that the lawyer said you want to say that you're safe sane and consensual when you do your bdsm play is that safe means that you know what the risks are and you do your best to mitigate them Mm -hmm. um sane is that you understand the difference between fantasy and reality Mm mm-hmm and consensual is that consent. everybody is in, in, informed. Since all the since all the frameworks have consent 
in them. Mm -hmm. I feel like we don't need to go too in depth into what right. consent is because we could rabbit hole in that one. Yeah, for a let's long not go time. right. And consent just means everybody's agreeing to do it. Right, um, but there is a reasonable amount of agreement. From a legal standpoint, if yeah. you were to get in trouble or if somebody were to, you know, if there was something to be concerning from a legal recourse of your sure. BDSM and kink activities, yeah. if you say, I am risk-aware, consensual kink, um, you that implies that you're risk-aware and you did it anyway. Right. Which, which means, which is, is, which is disregarding uh, rather than mitigating. Right. Um, also, I've heard tell that the whole RAC, okay, mm -hmm. rack started out as kind of a joke Dying. of like, and I, I don't personally know the history, but, um, I, I don't personally, but from what I've heard from somebody oh, who was there, I see, I see. So was that somebody was on the news, you know, on the news group and somebody was like, well, I'm not SSC. I practice rack. I'm more of a badass than everybody else. Right, right, right. And this person was a smart ass and was joking. Got you. And lots of other people were like, yeah, I'm a badass too. I know it's dangerous what I do and I mean, I I'm going to do it anyway. I don't actually know what the origin is, but I know for SSC it came from an essay from, was it Slave David? Oh, I cannot remember his last name. Neither gonna, can I. It's going to bother me, but yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, he originally wasn't talking about the way we use safe, sane, and consensual now. Um, he actually had a very different take on what those words mean, but... The history is less significant than mm -hmm. the life that term has taken now. Right. And there's a lot of people that say that safe, sane, and consensual is, is definitely more of a qualitative oh, interesting. Um, idea of that there is one way to be safe, as opposed to the legal definition that my lawyer friend gave me okay. around that safe is knowing what the risks are and doing your best to mitigate them. Right. Which I think is what risk aware means to me. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. Like, I think that a lot of people thinking about it that practice rack would think that it means mitigating as well. Right. And since basically they're the, they're the same thing, why not use the one that if you're ever in any kind of legal trouble sure. would get your ass out of trouble? I mean, I guess so. The way that I look at it is like, it's pretty challenging to get your ass out of trouble when it comes to kink stuff in general. And I'm not a hundred percent sure how similar or different the Canadian and American systems are. Neither am I actually. The, this was uh, this, this is U.S. advice. Right, this is U.S. From advice. From a non-lawyer. From a non-lawyer who talked with one of the NCS, uh, NCSF's lawyers. Right, 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 right. So someone who is specialized in it um, yeah. and their personal specialty was criminal law. Uh, oh, wow. uh, defending criminal law. Cool. Cases. Cool. Um, and had actually done a fair amount of good to know people in the kink community of like when they were like, and here's your, here is your getting in trouble for beating up your partner thing. Yeah. That's very scary. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. There's the whole issue of trying to deal with consensual kink in law, which is a whole podcast in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And one which I am not equipped to talk about. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in a position where I probably shouldn't talk about it. So <laughs> moving hastily on. Yes, most um, definitely. You, um, you wanted to talk a little bit about trying to talk about what it looks like when you're doing a form of role play that emulates a lot of resistance and a lot of, no, no, please stop. And like what that looks like. Because some people would call it rape play, mm -hmm. um, which my understanding is you're very much against that. Right. Because I, I, and part of the reason that I have a problem with that is that there is so much about um, 
rape that is an act of power and violence. Right. Which is pretty hot in the right context if everybody has made an agreement that they're going to play a game. In, a, in ahead and, of time. In ahead of time to right. play with that. But it's a pretty loaded word. And Definitely. I think it's, and I think it's one that... I think using that in your private play sure, as, a, as an enhancement for you and your partner when sure. you're setting up your own scene is sure. awesome. But as a, as a word that we use out in public, I don't think it endears us to people who don't exactly understand what it is we're trying to do when we do these psychodramas. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I want to... I would... I, would love to find a phrase or a word so that somebody could understand you know that it's the psychodrama I'm excited by right it's not so much about uh, it's not so much about the non-consensual act of violence and aggression that is not right. rooted in consent and a consent and a yeah so, and so I, I struggle with the term consensual non-consent, but because it has non-consent in the name of it. Right. Because the whole point of it is that I have consented to these things that don't look pleasant. Right. That, and aren't pleasant in the moment. Right. And maybe I didn't agree to exactly that thing, but I have had long negotiations with my partner that we right. constantly fine-tuning about right. how my partner... I, I have only one partner that I do this kind of play with where I'm like... Right. You have my permission to push me into doing things that I am reluctant to do if they meet these criteria. Right. And then the I following like, reluctant things are okay to do this play with. Or in these situations, it's okay to to um, push into my reluctance or push past my reluctance. Like these are mm -hmm. the emotional. Like for me, it's much more about emotional factors. Mm -hmm. Um that we have negotiated, which is really like subtle. Totally. And nuanced. And like, you really need to know someone incredibly well to do that. Right. It takes a lot of time. You got to have a lot of willingness to have things go wrong right. and be, and to say, Hey, that didn't work out so much. Right. Don't do it again. Let's figure <laughs> out a better way to have our, yeah. our, and you know, fun. That's, you know, highly dramatic and plays with those really intense emotions that are not all pleasant and happy and fuzzy bunnies. Yeah. You know, that's for afterwards. Yeah. And um, it's it's and very loaded. Like, it's just such a loaded form of play. A lot of people don't even like talking about it too openly because there's a lot of stigma against it. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable that when folks hear something like rape play, um, it's so loaded. It's so emotionally triggering um, mm -hmm. that I can understand why people would be immediately upset by it. And in addition to that, a lot of people don't even consider rape and sex the same thing, mm -hmm. um, which is fair. So when folks are talking about the distinction between, you know, I do this role play with my partner and we have sex, a lot of people would draw a really hard boundary from that and mm -hmm. rape, which is very much an act of violence. But just as when we think about the most uplifting sex and we think about rape as this horrible and harrowing experience, the main distinction there being just consent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I say just consent as if it's a small thing and it's a really big thing, but so much of that is the psychodrama. It's how we frame it. And not only how we frame it, but what are we getting out of it? Whereas <laughs> like if there's, you know, if I'm having a crime perpetrated on me, I'm mm. not getting anything out of that. Right. If I'm talking with my partner and saying, okay, so when I start to struggle, that's when I want you to hold me down tighter and right. really not me 
get let me get away. And then when I start crying, don't stop yet. Right. Like I want to cry for a good long while first. Right. But I want to cry like for these reasons in this emotional state. Right. And then and then it becomes like, okay, well, what are we doing there? What right. is what am I getting out of it? If I can sit there and look at the psychodrama and say, this feeds my need to uh, let go of control. Mm-hmm. So that things don't have to, I don't have to be in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, I'm in a situation where I'm really regimented and I need to have a situation that spins out of my control so that I can have these free emotions that I don't normally let myself have. Mm-hmm. So like, those are like the two big things for me mm-hmm. around that is that they definitely feed something emotional. Definitely. Do you feel like that ties into catharsis? Like for folks that are doing... I I think it definitely can. Because I know that some folks will sometimes talk about feelings of catharsis. And I should be really clear that BDSM and kink are not therapy, but they can be therapeutic. I I thoroughly agree with that sentiment. And the reason I hesitate is because I'm a little unsure if I've ever had a moment of catharsis. Sure. And I'm also not speaking from a place of experience. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've definitely, you know, had intense scenes until I got to the point of crying. I've definitely um, but done... But I'm not sure I would call it any kind of big emotional catharsis. Got it. So I, And maybe that's... You know, who knows? Maybe a therapist would look at me and be like, oh, honey, (laughs) 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 I just watched you for a half hour. I'm yes, that's what's happening. But I'm unclear. So I'm just trying to be honest about my understandings. Yeah. So I would, I mean, but what else do people use besides, you know, CNC or consensual non-consent, which does not work for me. Um, You could probably call it forced sex rape role play. For sex role play, I don't know. Yeah, we are we are spitballing we are for totally your amusement, spitball, for my amusement. Oh, and and that comes down to like for me, role play doesn't work because then I get stage fright anxiety. So I prefer not to use that kind of word. <laughs> you call it for sex play, because mm-hmm. like in a lot of ways, that's the most semantic. Right, so, or I'm, maybe I'm, re- maybe reluctance play. Sure, that might be a nice one. Resistance play. Mm-hmm. Resistance I don't want to resist. is futile. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for me, there's a lot of... Um... You will be obliterated. <laughs> Resistance is futile. <laughs> yeah, because there is that sense, I think, and again, I'm not speaking from experience, but I've participated in um, for sex role play before. Um, that I mean, I don't have a problem with a consensual non-consent label because for mm-hmm. me, I think including that what we're doing is very similar to Mm non-consent raises the stakes. It's sort of like what you were talking about with enhancements. If people want to privately use phrases like rape play, we're not judging them for that. Oh, definitely not. But publicly, it's probably a bad idea (laughs) for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, What was I going to say? I was talking about doing CNC and or for sex role play. And then we got excited. We got really excited about (laughs) nomenclature (laughs) i like the words (laughs) yeah well these it's so funny that we're we're having basically an entire episode on semantics but it's like the semantics of edge play Mm -hmm. right which is like that's a really important edge to have named extremely accurately i think so because you have to know which edge you're playing on yes absolutely it's part of the informed consent piece Mm mm-hmm I'm going to try not to make a mess as I check off the things we've talked about. 
Um, what about the term bisexual? What does that mean to you? So for me, bisexual means that I'm attracted to my own gender and gender's not my own. Right. And once upon a time, I think that was on a binary. Yes. Um, and as a culture, as we got more sophisticated about it, in my opinion, mm -hmm. the word bisexual just started encompassing more and more genders. Right. Mostly because a lot of the people that I met who were in that androgynous phase or right. androgynous space right. on the continuum who later on adopted nomenclature of agender or gender nonconforming would have identified as bisexual back in the day. Right. It, it, and that's actually where I met a lot of those people, you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas now it's, um, it seems like a whole bunch of other people have decided that that word doesn't mean that. And I've had conversations with my progeny about this, mm -hmm. who is 24 and agender. And we talked about it. And for a while, I stopped using the label bisexual as a sign of respect for my child's discomfort for that label. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I did a little more reading. I did a little more research. And it was like, you know, these are... Bisexuals don't, are not inherently transphobic. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of the people that I know back then totally, that's part of what made them mm -hmm. uh, bisexual is that they weren't conforming to gender roles and they weren't asking their partners to, to conform right. to gender roles. Right. It was almost like the pre-queer term for mm -hmm. queerness because there just was no other thing to be. Right. You were either heterosexual, homosexual, or bisexual. There wasn't the sort of um, nuanced spectrum we have now. Mm -hmm. I mean, now people are even using polysexual to mean that they're, like, attracted to multiple different genders. Instead of... Instead pan. of bisexual. Well, because pansexual typically would mean m most, if not all, genders. Oh. And some folks who are bisexual might be attracted to, like, two or three genders, like, specifically, like... Um, like, let's say you were attracted to femme-presenting people, but, you know, like, butch-presenting people might also be pretty hot, but not mask-presenting people. Mm -hmm. um, you could think of that as, as polysexual or maybe, um, again, bisexual would be fine. I'm not shaming bisexual mm -hmm. folks for using the term. Um, yeah, I would, yeah. It's almost, and, and maybe this is just, you know, this is just coming from a Gen Xer who's, sure, sure. you know, been been who has had a label for x number of years right and, and is comfortable it, with it and it's meant different things over time right and so for me all the things that you're just describing that all fits with bisexual my with totally. my label and how i see myself sure. is that when people used to ask me why i was bisexual it, right. and it was like it's because i'm attracted to the person not their body right right which a lot of people are now saying is a good definition of pansexual Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, I, I know there are folks that are gender exclusive, like that are specifically interested in certain genders, even if there are only two or three of them, but they may be exclusive of other genders. Mm, interesting. That's that's interesting because I have uh, in, in conversations that I've had with my child is that they're attracted to uh, femininity. Right. And so their partners tend to be have some form of femininity, whether it's in their past 
or in their present. Interesting. So they have gender non-conforming uh, AFAB and uh, AMAB. AMAB partners. Sure. But they're so, all gender non-conforming. Right. So then the question becomes, is that even bisexual? But they all have a slightly... Right. They even have a leaning to... But they definitely have a leaning towards a femininity. Yes. So, yes, their AFAB partners who are gender non-conforming still exhibit... Uh, or not exhibit. That's not the right word. But still uh, channel a lot of femininity in their identity mm-hmm. in relationship to my child. Right. As opposed to their uh, partner that is is transitioning. Right. Uh, from AMAB. Right. So it's like, okay, well, I don't... It, it, it gets, It's like some flavor of queer. Like right. It's, it's complicated. Right. And also it's like, but does... What does queer mean? Like It just I, means not, never cis, felt... not, not cis and straight is all that queer means. Right. But what if you're, what if you're cis and not straight? Then you're queer. Okay. You just can't be both straight and cis and call yourself queer. Oh, okay. But you can be cis and straight. That is fine. You just can't call yourself queer while doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But if you are literally any other combination of any of the things, you can call yourself queer. Okay. Because that's definitely something that I have... uh, I have been in spaces where I did not feel queer enough and have been Mm. told I was not queer enough. Oof. That's Uh, hard. That's hard. Which is why it's sa- it feels safer to be like, well, okay, I'm not in your club, so I'll go be in my club that I've always been in. Yeah. You that know? sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. It's, um, it's something that can happen to a lot of queer femmes that are AFAB mm-hmm. because they are cis and they look like they could pass as straight. Oh. <laughs> right? And yes. you get all of that bullshit, mm-hmm. which is garbage, lit on fire. Which is also super tricky because I have... Uh, uh, I've played around with like the Kinsey scale, sure. which I think is kind of a fun thing. Sure. But the Kinsey scale needs to have some different axes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it needs to be a little more complicated than it is. Exactly. Where and I used to joke that I was a Kinsey two point six nine seven. Right. Because <laughs> it just felt like it was not precise enough as a scale. Exactly. Yeah. When you and and. And I actually sat down and was like, okay, mathematically, if I take who have I been partners with, when right. I take all my partners that are uh, sexual partners and mm-hmm. divvy them up along the uh, gender spectrum on where everybody falls. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I put the people that I have romantic relationships with and how many of them fall where on this, uh, on the gender spectrum. Uh-huh. And then I add that to who do I look at on the street that I just find attractive? Sure. Who do I fantasize about? Sure. It becomes gets a, complicated. A, absolutely more complicated. Yeah. I would have to say that I'm way more attracted to feminine bodies. Um, sure. Uh, no, let me rephrase that because it's not feminine. Uh, Are you thinking about like sexual secondary sexual characteristics of AMAB folks or yeah. AFAB folks? Yes. So maybe is femalely appropriate? I mean, to say female bodies because boy, so I love me a butch. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. But those are, in, in a lot of times, those are women-identified people who are right. incredibly masculine. Presenting um, as well. And yeah. energetically masculine. I think, yeah, I agree. I think what I would say, and this is just my hot take on it, so I'm sure I'm going to get, I'm sure I'm not right, <laughs> but this is my off-the-cuff answer, would be that when I think about gender... 
because like when I think about female or male, I think about primary sexual characteristics. Mm-hmm. So I think about does this person have genitals that have been assigned vulvovaginal enough to be classified as female or assigned female birth? Mm-hmm. Does this person have genitals that are, you know, um, testes and penis enough to be assigned male at birth? Mm-hmm. And if they do, then that's their primary sec- sexual characteristics. That would be what I would assign to sex. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we're talking about things like hips, there are lots of folks who are assigned female at birth who maybe have very quote unquote boyish or straight hips. Or narrow hips, yeah. So I think of that more as one of the only hormonal or biological sort of traits. I shouldn't say one of the only, one of many hormonal or biological traits that I do associate with gender because there is a reason that a lot of um, that gay men will do hips or will do tits. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is about the secondary sexual characteristics as a part of gender performance. Mm. So that's one thought. Again, mm. just my hot take. I feel like I would need to do more thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But I would say being attracted to quote-unquote feminine lines would still qualify as gender because it's something that not all AFAB people perform mm-hmm. and that some AMAB people perform. But that's just my hot take. No, that's good. That's good to think about. And and actually, in a lot of ways, I feel like my label of bisexual of it's mm. the person that I'm in love with, not yeah. their body or the person I'm attracted to, not their body. Yeah. It kind of frees me up from having to have any of those thoughts, which maybe isn't the best thing. I mean, these are good things to think about. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, language is always changing. Why am I stuck on this one label? Right. Right. That's a very interesting idea. Well, there's been a lot of oppression that bi folks have experienced, especially historically. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense as a Gen Xer that you might be like, I have staked my claim and I'm defending it. <laughs> this is what I am doing. All y'all who come for all the bisexuals, I will be here to fight you. Um, I get where not, that comes from. Not to mention that when, um, when I entered into the public BDSM scene, yeah. um, people were using pansexual a lot. Right. And... I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. It's like, I'm not into cookware. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's where my brain goes when I hear pansexual. It's like, oh. As opposed to like a pantheist that believes God is in all things. As opposed to in cookware. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear what you're saying. Not into pots and pans. Different roots, different roots. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Definitely. (laughs) And that was also me not coming into a culture where I, I didn't know the meaning of the words as they were being used because right, when you come right. into a subculture right. you're you've it's got jargon. all this lingo and jargon that you're trying to understand and you you know you do as much reading as you can mm. but for the most part you pick up things mm-hmm. that are maybe you, through your filters are not the most yeah uh that's clear the, interpretation that's the downside is that communication is a two-way street and with new folks they often don't have the context to pick up what you're putting down mm-hmm and it can be very challenging for folks that have been in the community for a long time to know what to put down. Good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And also the fear of not wanting to be mistaken, you know, mistaken for uh, sure. unintelligent for not knowing something. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of fear of shame and, mm-hmm. yeah, depending on family of origin stuff especially. And I had a lot of that, being afraid of being ignorant. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, my challenge growing up was always that I figured, you know, if someone corrects me and makes me look stupid, it's the last time, right? They're going to correct me about this thing. I'm going to learn and I'm not going to make that mistake again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All new mistakes. That's exactly right. So the (laughs) downside of that though, is then you think other people are probably like you, you make the same mistake that most humans make. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you end up correcting people and you're like, I'm doing them a favor because they're a fucking idiot. (laughs) People don't like you very much when that's your philosophy. They genuinely (laughs) think you're an asshole all of the time. Um, as opposed to you being like, no, I'm helping. And they're like, no, no, you're not. And you can show yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately I progressed from there. That's good. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. It took a lot of work and took a lot of unlearning. Mm-hmm. But I think folks that thrive in subcultures are really good at doing learning and are really good at doing some form of self-improvement or you know, are experienced at being very stubborn at things until they get it. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the stubborn part. <laughs> Although I prefer the term pervicacious. Pervicacious? Pervicacious. Tell me more. I don't it, know what that means. It means incredibly headstrong or stubborn. Mm, or, or, or uh, I can't remember what the, uh, it, it's very stubborn. Got it. Yeah. I also just like that it has the the perv, perv in it. Yeah. That's a great description of you. Pervicacious. <laughs> what else do we have on the docket today? We talked about bisexual, pansexual. We talked about rack SSC. Just check how we're doing on time. Doing great. Yay. Let's talk about alpha sub stuff. Because there's a rich discussion in hierarchy we can get into here. Oh, yeah. Where do we want to start with hierarchy? Um, let's start in relation. You know what? Let's start in. Fuck, I don't even know. Because we could start in relationships or we could start in kink. And if this were like a better funded podcast, I would make people a choose your own adventure story with links. <laughs> um, but that's very hard to do in podcast format. But if more people sign up for your Patreon, then we could do that. <laughs> so everybody should go check out the Patreon. Yes, you can absolutely go and check out the Patreon if you'd like. <laughs> Which is at patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. <laughs> Good job. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, promoting myself is apparently a challenge, so consider myself promoted. I'm trying to do it in the intros and outros more, but it's still, it is still a challenge. And I don't feel like I sound super confident, so I really just need to change my intros and outros. But mm-hmm. Enough about production-y stuff. Let's right. talk about hierarchy. So, okay. firstly, how do you identify in terms of your hierarchy and exclusion stuff around non-monogamy, well, around relationships and sex, but then also around kink and power exchange? Mm, okay. So, I kind of like when it comes to relationships, I'm really big on like, you know, think of it like a union. Okay. Whoever has seniority has more <laughs> pull <laughs> in the it. relationship or has more say. Sure. Um, that's just me. Okay. Um, so like when I started dating my partner, Jim, Mm -hmm. his partner, Alina, they had been together for quite some time at that point. I think it was something like 15 years or something like that. Sure. That is a long time. Right. And they were, and their relationship waxes and wanes. And when I started dating him, they were on a, a waning part. And then he started dating somebody new. And so... I was, and it was definitely like one of those things where it was like, okay, I need to find out where I fit in, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was like, I was very much like, okay, Alina's been here longer, but you're spending more time with me. So I don't understand. And I think you're wrong somehow. And I think you're disrespecting her somehow to be spending more time with me. That's pretty hierarchical. Right. 
you know, very hierarchical. And yeah. I was basing it more on time rather right. than situation. Time served with this person. Right. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> Let's go back to the union analogy. <laughs> <laughs> union, okay. Sure. Um, so it was... So it was very much like hierarchy in that sense of like earning privileges as time goes on. Right, right. Mm. Um, was kind of how I thought of that. And that has been a very interesting struggle for me mm-hmm. because that has definitely changed enough so that in this situation where, you know, Alina and Jim have waxed and waned this whole time Mm. and he and I have steadily deepened over time Mm. so I feel comfortable and where it works for everybody and having to wrap my head around of like okay I do get more time with him even though she's been there longer are we going to be concerned about this yeah okay we should probably go in because it's raining Well, thank you for sticking it out with us in the hot tub. We will have to get back to you as that is being rigged out. (laughs) All right, so we are in from getting rained out. No more hot tub for us. No more hot tub for us. It is really coming down, or at least it was. And now we're not out in it. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. We were talking about hierarchy, and I think I started realizing how radically different our approaches to non-monogamy are, which is exciting mm-hmm. and means we'll have some rich discussions. And I think in the time left in the episode, I want to focus instead on talking more about switching. Okay, yeah. And some of the, like, maybe hierarchical stuff around kink. But I don't know. Let's start with switching. Okay. Because just like with bisexual, I feel like it's one of those like bad words that doesn't need to be a bad word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest things I find with people who talk about uh, people who switch from top to bottom is that they're not real doms or they're not real bottoms or. Yeah. Yeah, if you top and you bottom, then you're not a real bottom. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't matter what you tend to lean towards. there is this weird switch phobia where people kind of are, are, I don't know, worried about it. And like, for me, I feel like a lot of that is rooted in this idea of like possession of a person. Hmm. It's rooted in this idea that like, yeah, well, if you're playing with that person and you want to be like domly dom dom and they're subby sub sub, except when they're not, there's all of this like threat to that power dynamic relationship that I think comes with the area of exclusion. That's fascinating. That's my perspective. Um, I, so I don't have much to say about that because I had never thought of it that way. As someone who mostly tops men mm. uh, and AMAB people who are usually bigger than me, mm-hmm. I really, you know... Uh, I really enjoy that inherent power structure that mm. is kind of like a leftover layover from our culture. Yeah. And then add on to the top, the top of that, that most of the people I play with are also switches. And some people would say, well, I guess I'm a switch because I bought them to you. 
Well, did you bottom to some anybody else? No. Oh, but you consider yourself a switch. Well, I guess I have to consider myself a switch because I bottom to you. But you don't want to bottom to anybody else. No. Like, are you really a switch? <laughs> well, I like to bottom to you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. So that's an interesting thing. And then I'll have other people that I play with who are like, oh, no, I'm not a switch. I only bottom to you. <laughs> this is unusual. <laughs> right, right. So some people who will predicate their identity based on their actions and some who won't. Right. Just based on what we think of when we think of the word switch. Mm-hmm. Whether people think of it as an orientation or an exception. But that's like people saying, I'm not gay. <laughs> I'm only fucking you. <laughs> it's like, shh, okay. <laughs> Whatever you want. Or like, not bi or not pan, right? Like, I'm mm-hmm. straight. I'm just having sex with a man this once. You know, or I'm only having sex with one man, therefore I'm straight. Sounds very strange. Mm-hmm. But for people to say, I'm not a switch, I'm only bottoming to you, it's like, okay, all right. However you identify. Right. And it's like, well, why Why is there that reluctance around mm. around? saying that you're a switch right um because i think it can be totally situational it doesn't just because you're a switch you know right now doesn't mean you're always going to be absolutely just like you're not always going to be a bottom you're not always going to be a top maybe you will right um i definitely have noticed that um that i have shifted to wanting to top less and less over the last uh, couple of years which mm-hmm. interestingly enough corresponded with when I took on uh, more of a leadership role in the co- organization that I'm in. Mm-hmm. It's like I taught people all the time. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I need to bottom for a little while. <laughs> I completely hear you. <laughs> so, like, so it's interesting for me too. Is that that also seems to cause some almost loss of prestige or power? Definitely, because. I'm bottoming. It's like I've heard of people, um, especially when I think the stigma was worse, literally driving to a different city. Because mm-hmm. they would do all their saying where I'm from. Um, folks might top a lot in Vancouver and have people be like, ooh, there goes, you know, Mrs. Scary Top Top or mm-hmm. Dom, Domly Dom Dom. <clears throat> but then, you know, they would take the boat over to Victoria and all of a sudden they're subby sub sub. Mm-hmm. But in both communities, they're only known As for one the, or the other. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like they avoid the switching stigma by doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think we just need to be perceived more as just owning, in my opinion, just being really switchy. And I think that'll get normalized over time, but it's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's also uh, where my complaints about the concept of the alpha sub come in. Mm. Is can, can you tell us what an alpha sub is first? My understanding sure. is that it is... I've only ever heard it used and associated with uh, femme-presenting people, Mm -hmm. and that they are a powerful person who just happens to be submissive to one very strong, powerful, usually man. Sure. And so, I, but they're not seen as, as someone who is a switch. Right. You know, I, you know, that is very strange to me that they wouldn't just call themselves a switch at that point. Right. Where it's like, okay, yeah, you, you, you know, I know some people, especially in terms of leadership in the kink community, where Mm -hmm. it's like, well, the person who runs this organization is an alpha sub. And it's like, oh no, she doms all your asses. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't want to admit that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because she's the boss. Yep. 
Yeah, and and to a large extent when there are other submissives. I think a lot of the time alpha sub doesn't just get used with a person who is super switchy, but sometimes it gets used where there is a second submissive Mm. or multiple submissives. And the idea, in my understanding of the term, is more like I am the primary in this hierarchical relationship. Oh, I thought it was more of a middling thing again. I think it is sort of a middling thing because the idea being I am submissive to this person who you're submissive to, but I'm higher on that chain of power than you are. Mm-hmm. So there, there's this interesting fusion of like primary style open relationship and also power dynamics with middling where an alpha sub will place somewhere in the power hierarchy below the ultimate dominant, but of course above any and all other subs to that dominant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a weird. I mean, it's there's nothing. It's not weird, and there's nothing wrong with it. It is just an interesting parsing of those things. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess for me, the reason I would even use a stigmatizing term like weird is because of how alien, like hierarchical non-monogamy is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is such a fun topic because I know that you have lots of strong thoughts about it. Uh, yes, and and it's interesting that as much as I like hierarchy in the sense of I want to know where I stand. Yep. In the order of things. Yep. And I want everybody to like toe the line and be where they're supposed to be at so that my world is stable. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really bristle at the idea of uh, the the parlance use of alpha sub. Mm-hmm. Is that as if that is somehow a better way to be submissive. Right. Which is very upsetting to me. Yeah, I don't think there is a better way to be submissive. Yeah, the better way to be submissive is how... It satisfies you and your partner. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. I emphatically feel very strongly <laughs> that way as well. So we Well, talked... see there, that wasn't so very much different. <laughs> no, that's actually quite, quite similar. Yeah. Um, For having started like this uh, on opposite camps with the hierarchy to come all full circle of like, oh, yes, we totally agree. Totally. There is no better way to be submissive or for Mm -hmm. that matter to be in a non-monogamous relationship. It's Mm -hmm. really just like what suits you and your personality and things like that. Um, But I have learned I, when you are non-hierarchical and you make it very abundantly clear you're Mm non-hierarchical, sometimes hierarchy will try and creep into your relationship and you'll be like, no. No, no hierarchy. I do not do hierarchy. If you do hierarchy, that's great, but you cannot do hierarchy with me. <laughs> Ooh, how does that manifest? Uh, dysfunctionally. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, I suppose it could be functional that someone could do hierarchy in one relationship and then have a relationship that fits in their hierarchy mm-hmm. that does not um, that does not imply a hierarchy with any other partners from the non-hierarchical person. Mm-hmm. But then only, I see what you're saying about how does that manifest, because inherently, being a non-hierarchical person, if I'm with a hierarchical person, I'm being fit into their hierarchy, whether I want to be or not. Mm -hmm. I guess it would just be a negotiation. You'd have to negotiate, like, what ways in which hierarchy could impact our relationship, like Mm -hmm. my relationship with that person. Yep. Be a lot of conversations, because I do not like the idea of a third party having a say on the relationship I have with one person. I mm-hmm. feel like that relationship's just between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And when a third party starts controlling what's happening in my relationship, someone I don't have a relationship with, I feel really squicked out by that personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense uh, with, as someone who 
bottoms to multiple people in long-term relationships is Mm -hmm. something that has always been a very clear thing of that my DS relationship with my main partner does not touch my other relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear that it's that if I'm going to talk to somebody about playing with them and I'm going to say, these are my, my boundaries with you. Mm -hmm. They're not, you don't need to know that they are because they are agreements that I have with my main partner because they're my agreements. That's right. And if they're my agreements with him, then it is my job to put them forward as boundaries with another relationship. Yeah. And I think what can happen in some hierarchical negotiations is people will just skirt responsibility. Like, oh, I'd really love to, but I got this. I have this agreement with my partner, so I can't. Like, it's very much Mm, relegated, and like they don't own that that boundary is their boundary because that relationship is their relationship. Right. Exactly. Which, like, it isn't that hard to own and be responsible for. Mm -hmm. But some people just won't do that, Mm -hmm. and it's something that squicks me. I think about. Sometimes that can be an honesty thing, though. Like, mm. so when I very first started out having a, a DS relationship with my main partner that I have now, I, there were definitely things that, uh, activities that we were choosing to reserve only for each other. Mm-hmm. But that when I went to other people and they're like, well, do you like XYZ? And I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, cool, we can do it. And I'm like, no. Whereas it actually became, it became important for me to almost skirt the issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas instead of say, do you like X Y Z? I would just say I don't do X Y Z. Oh, that's a great answer. Because I don't want to lie right. and say no, I don't like it. Right. Because I do. But you want to communicate that you're not going to do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I also don't want to say, oh, I wish I could, but I can't. Right. And I'm going to leave the door open a little edge for you where my boundaries can get violated because yeah. I made it sound like it was okay. <clears throat> and right. that I really wanted to do it and then we just needed to, you know, find a way to, to make, you know, to make it work. Yeah. And that whole make it work and like find a way around agreements just squicks me so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I think a lot of folks, when they're getting into those places that merge a lot of ideas of power in relationships, they're kind of like merging these ideas from monogamy that are inherently ownership and power play ideas, which always blows my mind. Like when people talk about how much they struggle with owner property and they're just like, oh no, this sounds like, you know, like vanilla folks, especially being like, this sounds like a terrible thing. And I'm like, it's just like marriage. Right. Like it's (laughs) not that different. Right. We're just using different terms that we find sexier. Absolutely. We're dressing it up with a little psychodrama. Yeah. And we're absolutely, and we're, and we're placing an asymmetrical power there, Mm -hmm. but, but not unidirectional. Like, you know, like there's absolutely power from property on the owner. Oh yeah, definitely. There's still a sense of responsibility. Absolutely. I mean, they're still attached to the leash too. That's (laughs) I like that. (laughs) The owner is still attached to the leash. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and sometimes they can get pulled along, yeah. and it's important to look out for everyone's health in owner-property relationships, because sometimes owners do not get considered. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I just find it so fascinating that, like, literally monogamous marriage has so much exclusion, so much mm-hmm. possessiveness, and so much control and power, though they do their best in modern day, from my understanding of the institution of marriage in Canada and the United States to make it as symmetrical as possible most of the time. 
that the idea is it's a mutual ownership. But it's still quite serious property exchange. Like the degree of exclusion is like you cannot, your genitals are almost not your own anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you can touch them in some marriages, but not all. <laughs> and other than that, whether you may or may not be allowed to masturbate, because there are monogamous partnerships where people will not be okay with you masturbating. Right, and that is that's a whole other fascinating thing. It's so thing that far I don't, from me that I yeah. like have. It seems like I'm pointing at aliens on Mars. I'm like, how do humans live like this? But like, not even able to touch your own body. That seems like you're giving away autonomy, and you are. Mm-hmm. It's just the autonomy you're giving away isn't just for you fucking everyone else in the world. It's for you fucking yourself. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, what does that look like in disagreements that last two weeks? It, like, it, like, what does that look like when people have medical problems or just aren't mm-hmm. up for sex for some reason? Like, how do people feel responsibilities to each other to have sex when they don't want to have sex because they have a responsibility to meet each other's needs because they're the only place to get needs met? Like, it touches on some really gray consenty areas. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So TLDR, monogamous marriage, great for folks that want to do that and pre-negotiate that. It is not for me. Mhm. Mhm. And for me, mm-hmm. the only time I've ever been um, monogamous was by accident when I was really excited <laughs> about someone new. <laughs> That's solid. I appreciate that. I've been I've been monogamous for like four or five years in my in my early days, my mm-hmm. first relationship. Um, it did not go super well. Mm-hmm. It did not go super well. I was faithful the whole time, although I did masturbate to pornography, which was cheating. Oh, according eyes. to this other person. No. Yeah, which is which is cheating in our relationship because it was a term that was set out that I agreed to, and I'm not sure why. Because huh. I was in love, because I was in love, and it was required for the relationship. So it was give up on a relationship of multiple years, mm-hmm. or stop looking at pornography. So I genuinely tried, and uh, and failed. And that was me cheating on the relationship because I was violating the agreements I made. Even if those agreements were never right for me, I still made those agreements. Right. So I can own that technically that counts as cheating in the sense that I touched myself while looking at pornography specifically because I think she would have been okay. I think she was okay with me masturbating so long as it was to her and only to her. Ah, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, but if you pile a whole bunch of trauma on there, it gets a lot less reasonable. Right, yeah. Yeah, like literally. I, I'm sorry to be so clinical yeah, about no, uh, no, that's something okay. that's very personal for you. No, that's I, okay. Uh, not having experienced something like that and trying to grasp the it concepts. Is, it is so, I literally, like when we ended up, when I ended up ending the relationship, um, and I was like, how did you think this was going to go? You view masturbation as cheating and I view it as a like you view masturbating to pornography as cheating and I view it as just another healthy way to express my sexuality like we're not compatible like how did you think this was going to go and she was like well I thought you would just keep trying not to masturbate to pornography ever and you would have failures every once in a while and that we would move on from that wow so like it was understood that it was something that I was considered an essential part of my sexuality and especially because thinking about her for a lot of the relationship was quite difficult for me because there had been a lot of trauma, like suicide attempts, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like at a certain, at a certain point to what extent does thinking about someone that you're struggling with for your own mental health reasons, right? I'm not blaming her for any of this, but, um, you know, you feel guilt and you feel shame and like, there's like a lot of baggage there that isn't hot. Not for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> not for me. 
no, I completely understand where you're coming from. I mean, it's fascinating where we get our, where we get the fun edges. Right. And how very far away they are from the edges. Yep. That are uh, dangerous. Yeah. And unfulfilling to, yeah. to, to walk on. Yeah, like, that's the thing about possession and property ideas is you really do need to pre-negotiate them well. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I want to do this thing. And I think that's what happened was I was 17 and I agreed to it. And I was really young. And I agreed to do things that didn't serve me. And we all have probably done something similar, if not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, I can 17 is that. very young. People do silly things. They do. And some 17-year-olds are really clever. So good on you if you're 17 and you're not doing stupid things. Also, record a tape of what you're saying about how smart the things you're doing are and send it to yourself at 23. Yeah. In a third more of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And um, you may be like, yep, that Victor was a complete lunatic. Or you might be like, hmm, there might be some truth to this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair, because I think we all grow so much even in one year. Mm-hmm. If you're 17 and you think back to when you were 16... Oh, yeah, definitely. It's one year, and we're different people. So yeah. it's understandable that in six more of those iterations, when you get to 23, you'll just be like, wow, I was so different at 17. Mm-hmm. And the same again for 29, probably. From 23, you're just like... And, of course, then there's that hilarious song by Garfunkel and Oates, which I want to say is like 3129 or 3429. I can't remember. I have no idea. It's their difference in perspective on men when they're 29 years old, being like... I finally know what I want. I deserve to have, like, everything that I want. Like, fuck all the men that aren't good enough for, like, what I want. And then versus, like, 32 being like, oh, my God, I'm going to die alone. I don't know what I was thinking at 29. (laughs) It's really funny. It's pretty extreme, but it's also comedy, so it's meant to be like that. Gotcha. Um, Right. Got rained out. We talked about switching. Talked about alpha subs. Mm-hmm. Gendered baggage. Talked about how that was similar to hierarchical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I also find interesting is that uh, about the alpha subs mm-hmm. is that it's it's in my opinion shows or can show a lack of respect for someone in the bottom role or in the submissive role mm. because to denote that they're a strong person you have to call them an alpha sub you have to give them a yeah. dominant designation yeah for them to have power or to be right powerful whereas i see submission as a form of strength not to quote a certain title that we read today right well you know we really need to have you have to have power in order to give it to somebody yeah you know, if you don't have any power, can you really give it away? Yeah. Is that really consent? Yeah. No, honestly, I couldn't agree more. I feel like when submissives are saying that they are exchanging power, mm-hmm. I think of power as a lease. I, I don't think you can give power. I think you can only ever loan power. What do you think of the term authority transfer? That's kind of neat. I like that. It sounds very, like, sanitized and, like, you will hold my ability to make decisions in escrow until such a time as... Right. Yes. And that's kind of what they're... That's exactly what they're pointing out. The people that I've come in contact with who use authority transfer relationships Mm -hmm. is to say a person... You can't give away your power because it never really goes away. However, you can give authority to someone else over yourself. Sure. Um, And I'm like, that kind of works for me. Yeah, Um, I like it. 
You know, I, but then I'm also in a DS relationship that is more of a power struggle that also, rather than a power exchange. That's a super cool idea. <laughs> I feel like we're getting pretty close to the end of the ideas I wanted to touch on, though. Okay. Um, do you want to maybe do a different one and we can talk more about power struggle? Mm. Power struggle or save that for another day? We can also save it for another day. That might, might dovetail pretty nicely into hierarchical mm. power exchange. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Yay, more conversations. Yay. Thank you so much again for being a guest on Intimate Interactions. Thank you, Victor. <laughs> I can't wow, believe this recorder. <laughs> this recorder made it. I can't believe it made it through hot tubs and rain. Hot tub and rain. Well, we will have to see. <laughs> but I think it's fine. <laughs> So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.